0: and welcome to a new episode of Tinker Talk. This one is with me, Phil Brown. We have Rich Keegan. Hi, everybody. And Lisa Hunt. Hello. This one's based off a blog post that recently just came out um, called A Force to be Reckoned With, The Helium Hoop. And I want to give a little backstory to where this came from and the origin of it, and then this will lead into what we're going to discuss for the next few minutes. Um, Tom Miller, who is our development uh, director, director of development, he was tasked with writing a blog post on some old materials that we had in the archives, and one of them was on the activity Helium Hoop And so he came into the training team room and myself and Rich were there and he asked the question, what is helium hoop? So I explained that activity to him. For those people who don't know what it is, um, you either take a helium hoop. I'm sorry, don't take a helium hoop. You either take a hula hoop or a stick. It's often sometimes called helium stick. And the task is whilst everyone maintains uh, contact with an index finger underneath the hoop or a stick, they start off um, often around uh, waist height, chest height, and they have to lower it all the way to the ground without the stick becoming um, off um, its horizontal plane and also without fingers coming off of the hoop or the stick. The reason it's called helium hoop and helium stick is because everyone's intention is to keep their fingers on it. So they push upwards against it, which makes it rise. Um, quick, funny story about this is that one time we did get a phone call to the high five office. Someone had purchased, um, the hula hoop pieces off our website and were asking very seriously how we actually got the helium into the hula hoop. They had bought themselves some helium. They had bought themselves the hoop and they were asking, how did I get it in there? So he came in, asked about that. And then he asked the question that is leading us into this conversation, which is why would anyone want to play that? Because it seems extremely frustrating. Um, so we explained that, that's sometimes the point of activities that we do is to create spaces where people can experience frustration or struggle and how that group can cope in those scenarios and it gives us stuff to talk about. Um, So that's what this uh, uh, blog post is in reference to and it goes into more detail on that. What I thought we would do um, as a team is just talk about Um, that concept of struggle and concept of frustration. And then we'll also identify some activities or give some anecdotes of where that came into play for us and how we have dealt with adding struggle or frustration into programming. Um, So I'm going to hand off to uh, Lisa right now because – She is doing a workshop, uh, a pre-conference workshop at ACCT in February called The Struggle is Real. Um, And I have witnessed this uh, workshop also when she's done this here at High Five. And so I think it ties into this really perfectly. So Lisa.
1: Thanks, Phil. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited in February. February 6th is one of the pre-conference days at ACCT, which is in Raleigh this year. Um, I'm so grateful I get to work with this content um, in a full-day workshop. Um, I presented it last year in a 90-minute session and also at our symposium or maybe somewhere else, AE perhaps. Um, And it's really inspired by this idea of what are the barriers that we as practitioners have with allowing a group to struggle? Where do we need to let it happen? What are the considerations for reining it in? Um, What's our discomfort? How... Uh, where does that discomfort come from? Um, and then from a design piece, which is the part that I'm still so fascinated with is what's the value of struggle? Um, and then how does it impact what you're doing next with the group, especially when it comes to your activity sequence? So, you know, what happens, for example, when you get to climbing and the group has had sort of engineered success all the way up there and what is the term challenge course really mean? So um There's more information on the ACCT website about the workshop, acctinfo.org, or call the office and talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about my intentions for it. But that's sort of the workshop, and I think it very much mirrors the question that Tom had because Tom is very much asking a practitioner question. Like, Mm -hmm. why do we want people to struggle? I think we should always be asking ourselves that question.
0: Awesome. Does any of you uh, either of you or have um, uh, activities or moments that you think of where you've experienced struggle or you've you've uh, created an experience of struggle for your participants and how that's played out?
2: Well, I just. I shared with you earlier, I just had one recently at uh, over Thanksgiving with a uh, family with 17 people. We were together with friends and family. <clears throat> and because we're known as the games people at one point in a lull in between the football game, somebody asked, hey, Rich, you got anything we can do? So I threw out the dollar jump. And for those of you do not familiar with that age-old activity, it's where you place a dollar on the ground and then the participants hold their feet together while holding on to the tips of their shoes or sneakers or toes. And they try and completely jump over the dollar without touching the dollar and land lengthwise on the other side. So that went on for probably about 20 minutes to – 45 minutes. I can't remember exactly. Nobody was doing it. This is all a group of adults. And people were quizzing me as to how did this all happen? Does anybody able to do it? Absolutely. So after we left, when I came back the next morning to the house, they had continued to do that activity and picked it up later till about one in the morning. So one person asked me, well, thanks for giving us an activity that none of us could do, Rich. (laughs) And then I did have to explain, well, it's about failure and learning from each other. And what did you learn about yourself through that? Um, so that was an activity that I was kind of surprised that people stuck with and continued to try to do, and that they all failed. And then was a concern for one person. And I asked some other people how to go. So oh, it was fun. And then what you really learned about yourself—that's yeah. mm-hmm. so cool.
1: As a side note, I think we, and I'm sure many of our listeners can identify with that. Like, oh, do you have any games? Yeah. At family functions. Yeah. I did like toss a name at a family reunion and it was, you know, it's like yeah. you're kind of like asked to perform, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, for me, a specific activity, I think we could all probably list activities that can promote and what do they have in common. I think I had a workshop a couple weeks ago where the participants taught me so much in the conversation they wanted to have around activity types And we were doing the classic turnstile initiative one, two, three equals 20, or one, two, three equals 10. Whatever the activity, the dynamic is that the facilitator has a solution and the participants are trying to find the solution. And I mean, some folks will do, will breeze through that. A lot of folks won't. But I think that there's a specific dynamic with struggle when you're giving the group an answer. And they're trying to navigate their way toward it. And what this group a couple of weeks ago from Chewankee who are so engaging and just amazing practitioners, what they brought the conversation to was, wow, when you had the, when you told us the outcome that you wanted, we were hesitant to engage in trying. Because it was sort of like, even though I kept saying the only way to find the solution is to engage with the jump rope. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like well, it could be this, it could be this. It was so hard for them to start. And then they led the conversation to the question of like, well, what about an activity where there isn't a specific outcome in mind, but it's still adventure? We did a completely different activity type um, where it was just I kept giving them little tasks, ultimately leading to an eyes-closed activity. And it was so interesting for me to think about that dynamic of are they trying to find a solution or are they trying to have a process? And that is something – that I really want to dive into more in my pre-conference. I think Helium Hoop, I think it's also that dynamic of, oh, like you're tricking us, or this is harder than it looks, or...
0: Um. When I was at, during the AB, the last Adventure Basics that I led, I did, and I've been doing this, um, if a site has the low element team triangle, where um, they everyone's going to start inside on that platform and they have to figure out what parameters are going to allow them to be able to get out. Like there are rules that I have It's that same concept. Like I've got stuff, they have to figure out the rules and the only, the way, the only information they're going to get is they know they get something wrong and have to reset when they hear me blow a kazoo, which in itself is an annoying noise, but <laughs> they, uh, they use annoying the, their, their hesitancy is the same thing of like, what, they didn't want to start like, and I wonder if it's, it's it's not because they just kept going on like, because they didn't want to make a mistake. They didn't ever want to hear it. They thought they were aiming, they were going contr- get to perfection. But the only way they were going to get it right is if they figured out what was wrong. So you needed to have them experience failure in order for them to have success. And I wonder if that, that struggle piece is that people really struggle to be vulnerable or make mistakes for whatever reasons that might be. And, and it, they turn it into, oh, I'm not sure I like that activity. And I got feedback like from the team triangle. They're like, wow, because I it was a second day of the workshop. And we'd had all positivity up until then. It was interesting because I'd had activities that all were success oriented or at least joyful. They were connection based. There wasn't really, and even some of the initiatives I gave were like, you do as best as you can. It was a timed thing where they're beating their own time. They're not being a record or, you know, they're, so they're happy wherever their goal is. That was the first time where there was a finite, you get it right or you get it wrong. And they struggled. They really struggled. And we were there for 45 minutes. It started to get dark and they were getting irritated. But I, at the, when we came down for dinner, we had a good discussion about why I would choose to do an activity like that. And then they slowly got on board with like, oh, I get why he made us do that now.
1: And that group was probably in a much different place to then climb. Mm-hmm. And readiness to experience personal struggle, as you experienced in yeah. my little mini workshop with that same group of what happens when you haven't had that genuine struggle on the ground, and then you're asking people to take that to height. It's so different. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I also I really question as facilitator when I it's okay or good to actually have a group really intentionally, for my focus, have them struggle. And I think it gets down to, as I listen more in my, my my journey, it's more about the amount of time I have with a particular group. If it's in a 40-minute short, whether that be like a class or an hour and a half, um, whether it do an ELO, EOL, I mean, th- those time constraints, constraints, if I have 40 minutes, I'm I'm not purposely going to have them I think struggle when I plan programs because I don't have the time to follow through on that. Like Phil, you were having the ability to have a great discussion with that and be able to kind of pay off and begin to work through why failures difficult or challenging. So for me, it's only if I have feel I have enough time with people and groups to be able to begin to discuss that. Maybe I don't have to get. Do a deep dive into it, but I'll, I'll have the the ability to have time to be able to have those those kinds of discussions.
1: Right, it's a matter of the time and what's the purpose of the group. Right. Is it is a fun recreational day camp, exactly, or is it a professional sports team trying to get to the next level? And I think Phil, you have the best example of that in my recent past in terms of your decisions as a facilitator.
0: So when we talk about like struggle and uh, being able to create struggle for participants we also and we sort of reflecting on it like we struggle yeah. and i know when i first started doing working doing this stuff and i i was creating activities that i knew that people were liking and so that would feel good rather than creating actual challenge and um, in reference to the helium hoop, I hated that activity when I first started. It's also an activity I don't think accurately taught, but it gets taught to new practitioners very early on in their repertoire. So it's like one of 10 things they know. And I don't think that's the best activity learned. No, and you do it for
2: 10 minutes or so <laughs> and travel to the next element. So even the group isn't yeah. mini imploded or may imploding. and like, okay, we're going to move on.
0: Because like, as a facilitator, you're not experienced enough to be able to delve into the why you create the struggle. So I use it now more often, but in reference to what Lisa was saying, we recently, uh, all flew out to work with the Calgary flames and, uh, it was a really phenomenal experience for us as a team and then also working with their team. But we, I was tasked with running an activity on the last day as a, you know, a sort of finale initiative and I chose to use um, Ubuntu Mimeograph. So the way that activity works is that I lay down a pattern of the Ubuntu cards on a table or a floor and then give each group, how many groups And this one, there were three groups, but give each group a the same resource, which is a deck of Ubuntu. And their task is to recreate as best I can the image that I have in front of me um, over with their groups. And they can do that by sending only one person at a time from their group to come and observe the image for, when I did it, I did it for 30 seconds. So they studied the image for 30 seconds. They have to run back to their group or go back to their group, share the information, and then the next one comes. Um, and in this particular image, I left... I put something in it that I knew was going to be a struggle in that I left in the corner of the image the the deck of Ubuntu with all of the rest of the cards that were not used in the pattern stacked in it that you could tell that they were all in it if you really focused, but it's a, often missed. And I would say I've done that image hundreds of times and never had people get it 100% right. So I knew it was supposed to be a challenge, um, but it makes me nervous because I don't, you know... I don't want people to be mad. It's like the empathetic thing is also a selfish thing for me to not want people to be angry at me for something. But I put it out there because the group had had positivity the whole way through and we wanted to try to engage them in some sort of struggle. Have it be that it wasn't. they weren't going to be successful. In sport, you lose. And we wanted them to experience loss. Um and it came to the opportunity for me to reveal to each of the groups how they're done. And each group I knew had not put all the rest of the cards inside the box. So they'd all missed it. So I had a choice. I could either ignore that and say they all did it perfectly, or I would tell every single one of those players that they had not succeeded. And so I chose to uh, have them not succeed and it resulted in a uh, not the most positive response back to me. They weren't that happy. <laughs> They're competitive sports players, uh, uh, team members. So it makes sense that they were they were a little upset about it. But it brought up that good intention. But that was a choice for me, and I struggled through that process. And they all struggled for the process. My hope that it is, is that it was beneficial. Um, but, yeah, that was my struggle.
2: And it's not okay to fail in our society, and especially at the highest level of sport. Yeah. It's not okay to fail you fail you lose your job you lose your contract you may be out of the league and i and i and i think in every place and, and i mostly in our culture i don't think it's okay to fail I, I, from a cultural cultural mm-hmm. standpoint we're asking people to really delve into that which is
0: which is hard and also we, when we facilitate, we, we take on this almost like a paternal maternal instinct for protection around this group. Like we call them our groups, like we want them to be successful. We follow along with their success and we want them to do well. And so we add a lot of energy in and because of that paternal maternal instinct, we sometimes want to help. I used to find that when I used to do outdoor ed, the worst participants were the teachers that, are co- that joined the kids that are were the chaperones because they were, I was younger, but I was more used to seeing kids struggle. They were a little bit more success oriented and they couldn't deal with that. And they would give the answers to the kids because they would watch them struggle and go, no, 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 you need to do it this way. And I'm like, ah, you took every possibility for learning away from them. But I think we do struggle. I know lots of new facilitators really struggle with having people struggle.
1: Right. I think it's maybe the question is, um, do you let groups struggle or not? I think that's one way of asking. I think another way of saying, what is experiential learning really mean to each of us? And if it's, if we're using experiential learning as a tool to help people improve themselves, improve the groups that they work with and learn with on a daily basis, it's uh, like experiential, like, how can you have experiential learning if it's only success? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, what are you supposed to learn from that? And I think no. the other piece that this conversation reminds me of is that, and Rich, you, you said something so important that um, it's one thing for me to say, you have as many tries as you want. There's no consequence. That's not the same as the group fully being able to actualize that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say there's no penalty for attempting something to get out of the team triangle, I have to remember not to expect everyone to be like, oh, okay, great. Let's just try because you're right. We're not, when you have the solution, you have power. And when you don't have the solution, you don't have power. And so it's not, it's not equal. It's really off balance. And so I have to watch my expectations of a group when they have unlimited tries. Sometimes I'm like, why aren't they just trying? Mm -hmm. And it's because it's super risky, no matter what we say. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and how I often can they try that. forever? I mean, I'm doing a program later today with where, where a hockey team, and um, there's going to be failure, and how do you deal with that? And it's going to be in a short period of time, too. So it's yeah. the real, real life is that I don't have a 15-minute period in hockey. Things got to happen in those 15 minutes. And if it doesn't work out in 15 minutes, well, you either won or lost, and then be able to process that. Right. But I, today I'll have the time to do that because I'm with them for two hours. Right. Other groups – If I don't have that time, I'm not going there.
1: Let me ask you both this question about helium hoop to bring it back to the origin example. What, how do you as facilitators decide like what's, what's your, what are you, what are your responsibilities when you're facilitating something like that and you see it and you know, I think based on previous experience, that within a few minutes there are going to be people who are accusing each other of cheating People are going to blame each other for things. I mean, that's not all the time, but that's to be expected. Like, what are some, like, guideposts that you use to say, like, I should intervene, I shouldn't intervene. And I'll just, yeah. I
2: I mean, I always feel like I, for me, before I do that activity, we've done some other work about conversation, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, And I, I don't start with that early on at least in my progression nowadays so Mm -hmm. having them have some other experiences beforehand where they've been able to communicate with each other and um and see what those group dynamics that's usually where if if we're if we're really storming i'm not doing that activity and the storming would be things like inappropriate language um calling people out in a a negative way that that would be where Mm -hmm. would be some of the markers for me that said oh don't do this. Or if for whatever reason I didn't sequence it quite as well, that if things would be discussed when when there are some inappropriate comments that come along, and I'm not talking about uh, curse words, things like that. Although that that that's obviously for me, that's a button, so that we would stop it down and and kind of talk about the frustration level and how can you deal with that right. in a more positive way.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I I'm, I'm okay with a group arguing. Like if I see a group arguing, I'm okay with that. I think that that's that point where you sense, you know, I think on the disc profile, all three of us are S's. So it's, it means that we're like, a, we have a, a greater ability potentially to empathize, but I feel it like in me when it's getting awkward. I don't know. It's like, there's an energy level for it. I'm like, I don't like this anymore. And if I would feel like that, then it's normally, oh, hold it. And uh, if we're going to have a discussion though, I, I don't like to do a discussion about how we're doing when we're doing it. Yeah. So another example was like a, something that creates frustration sometimes is balancing a whale watch. If the group is standing in the whale watch and they're trying to balance that and also have a discussion and also argue, I never find that to be productive. So I bring them off it. And the same with the helium hoop, put the hoop down on the ground and let's walk over here and take a seat and let's just talk about it and we'll come back to it either immediately or we'll come back to it later as another marker of success. And it's okay actually for me if the group completely flops on it because then I'll, what I'll do is I'll remember that moment and then if I'm with them for multiple days, I'll bring the Hulu back out of my bag and watch them all go, Oh God, no. And then see them do better maybe because they've worked, I've worked through a little bit. I think it's okay to use those things as a litmus, te- litmus test.
1: It, this is so. This is so great. The, what your two comments? I mean, I'm looking at the opening line of Tom's blog, and what he says is: Priya Parker, author of The Art of Gathering, suggests unhealthy politeness is toxic to the development of effective teams. I absolutely agree with that. I think I'm curious. Like, but do I expect something like helium hoop? to be the thing that gets the group over unhealthy politeness. And I I have to be careful for myself to always not just rely on the activity Mm -hmm. to be the teacher. Like you're both saying in your own ways, I think, and I'm agreeing with, we all have to make sure that the activity is in the right context. And ultimately we're responsible for the safety of our group. Like, is there a dynamic in the group where one person – is, you know, constantly being talked over or left out or berated or something like, you know, we probably, none of us would probably say, I know what's going to fix this helium hoop, you know, (laughs) but yeah, I think it's that, how do you break through that unhealthy politeness?
0: What I do uh, with helium hoop in particular, if I use it, I normally pair it with another activity or another thing. And I pair it with a tape recorder which is a play on the you taking masking tape. And as people talk to each other and have a discussion, I'm listening to comments or phrases that they say and I'm writing them onto that tape, tearing the tape off and then sticking it over on a border. I like to stick it on myself so that by the end of the activity I'm covered in tape with comments. And they're not name-specific. But I think that sometimes people don't know in the moment how they're energy and language comes across to others so it allows them to see everything Visually, And so I'll say, look at all the comments that have been made during this activity, both positive and negative and non-assigned to individuals. Which of those, and now we take those, which of those make you feel positive? Which of those don't make you feel great? And analyze, like, look how many of them made us feel kind of crappy. Like, what does that tell us about the way that we communicate? So in the same way that the helium hoop is a tool to see frustration, I don't think it's an activity that solves the problem. It brings no, it, it up, brings it up. No, and no. allows you to talk about it. It's a tool for discussion. It's not a tool like, oh, my group is really frustrated. each other. I've got the solution. Helium, <laughs> All it would do is make it worse. So I use it as like an opportunity to analyze. And it's an activity like others that I use where I'm not a part of it. Like it's not one where I'll throw my fingers in, like I'm not yeah. doing it. I'm using it to observe from a, Uh, an overarching view of being able to see finally how the group is interacting and it also gives me a break from speaking but it's like an opportunity for me to observe which will give me as I mentioned like a litmus test on how the group is functioning and where I might take the the program from there
2: I like when we discussed this before having a participant who for whatever reason doesn't feel as if they can participate in this particular activity. And with some of the groups that we've worked with, Lisa, there are oftentimes a couple of students that are just not engaged. So having them do that masking tape, I think, is uh, really good. I just have them jot it down, and then they share that with the group as well. Yeah. So there's a good variation
1: on that. I think it's just, to me, it's, I'm reminding myself in this conversation that the experiential ed part of it, the education, we can't let it, the activity be the education. Yeah. Or, or just rely on that. Of course, yeah. activities can teach us a lot in the way we engage with them, but it just brings it back to like, what's my responsibility as a facilitator?
0: Yeah, and I think that we're not doing our clients, our participants a service if we are a success or a program. Right. You know, like we, I use the phrase a lot and I know it gets referenced in the Struggler's Real workshop that we call ourselves a challenge course, not a success course. Right. And so if we are you know, in the world of challenge, then we should create environments that, you know, perfectly replicate or simulate the act of challenges. All right. Awesome. We're good. Wrapped it up. Yeah. We solved all the problems. Okay. Thanks everyone. Bye.
1: Bye. See you. Thanks
0: for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say... Uh, thanks for listening to High Five. Thanks for listening to High Five. <laughs> and then what about thanks for listening to High Five's podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for
2: giving think a good guy. <laughs>
0: If I had to rate our solar system, I'd give it one star. <laughs>